Kids, I've, I've got a question for you. Does anybody know what this is? A nightlight? Yeah, it's a nightlight. What do we use a nightlight for? For seeing in the dark, right? When, when it's dark at night and you can't see your way around, then we use a little nightlight. Because it doesn't take very much light when it's really, really dark and you can't see. It doesn't take very much light to be able to see a little bit and be able to get around. And so sometimes we use a nightlight. Now, do we need to be scared when it's in the dark? No. We don't have to be scared of the dark. When you turn off the lights, everything stays right where you left it. It doesn't move. It just stays right there. So you don't need to be worried about in the dark. But it does help a little bit to have a nightlight so that you can see a little bit, right? Because when it's super, super dark, you can remember, okay, I put... I put that toy there, and I put that toy there, and the bed is over here, and you can, you can walk very carefully and take your steps around all of the things in your room, or you can have a nightlight, and you can see and not step on any of those things and hurt yourself, right? Because otherwise, what can happen is, in the dark, you can crash into things, and you can break stuff or hurt things or hurt somebody else if you run into them, or you can hurt yourself. Well, God is a little bit like a nightlight. We're going to see today how Jesus is like a light that helps us to see in the darkness so that we don't have to ever be scared because nothing moves, everything stays right where it is in the dark, and God knows where it is. And so if you have God that can take you by the hand and lead you through, you can be safe. So this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 4 together, I want you to notice, how is Jesus like a nightlight? Okay, I'm going to leave this right here. Okay, so if you would all turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to be starting in verse 12. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew wants to set up the timing of this for us, and we don't know exactly when. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that uh, Jesus went to be baptized by John. John was, was preaching in the desert, repent and be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then uh, Jesus came and was baptized by him, and John saw the Holy Spirit come down and anoint him. And immediately after that, he goes out into the desert, Jesus does, he goes out into the desert where he is tempted uh, by Satan, right? He goes out in the desert for 40 days, he's very hungry, and then he is, is tempted by Satan out there in the desert. And we see in that that Jesus is faithful in all things. Though the temptation comes, unlike the nation of Israel, unlike us, he is not, he does not sin, right? 
He is the faithful son. Now, Matthew introduces again in verse, uh, verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. How long has this been? How long has it been since Jesus was tempted in the desert till now uh, John has been arrested and Jesus goes up to Galilee? We don't know. Matthew doesn't bother to tell us that. It's not important the exact timing of when all these things happen. What Matthew is trying to do for us is he is trying to draw this connection, this link back, right? We had this temptation of Jesus in the desert uh, by Satan, but now he is tying us back to the ministry of John and saying, remember, this was a little excursus where we went around and, and talked about the temptation, but now I want to draw you, your memory back to John the Baptist, and link, your, link this ministry of Jesus as he begins his ministry after his temptation. I want to link that with John. So now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew from there, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Very specific. Matthew is wanting to explain for us where these things are, and he's trying to elicit certain connections for us. He's not just saying, oh, and so he was up by the Sea of Galilee. You know, he went from Nazareth and over to the Sea of Galilee, did some ministry there for a bit. No, there are specific things that he wants you to know. As, as he went into Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee, after he left Nazareth, there he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Nebulun. Let me try that again. He went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So he was there in this region in the area of where the tribe of Zebulun was and where the tribe of Naphtali was. He was living in that region by the Sea of Galilee. And the reason that Matthew wants to point this out is because just like he has been up to this point wanting to connect us to the Old Testament prophecies, he's again wanting to highlight for us how Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies. So that we are constantly reminded by Matthew about the prophecies of Isaiah. He was in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that, Matthew says, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And this is what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Well, I, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I'm reading Matthew and I'm reading about these things, and Matthew wants to make this connection back to Isaiah, and I go, you know, I don't remember Isaiah that well. I don't remember the people sitting in darkness. What was the darkness that they were sitting in? Who were these people that were sitting in this darkness? What is this light that is shining here? What, what, is, what is he referring to in this? 
Is that important? Or is Matthew really just trying to highlight for us that this is the area in which Jesus did his ministry? And so I went back and I started reading. And here's what I read. These verses he quotes are from the beginning of chapter 9 of Isaiah. If you want to look at that, it's, it's verses 1 and 2. Those are the ones that he quotes. But the really interesting stuff is if you back up into chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand upon me, and he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And then in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel and he is, has been warning them about the coming judgment of God. That because of their sin, the Assyrians are going to come in and they are going to conquer them. And now they are beginning to hear rumblings about the Assyrians pressing in, and they are beginning to worry about this army that is coming to take them over. You have some people that are greatly distressed. They are hungry. They are anxious. And what does the Lord speak to Isaiah? Don't call conspiracy what these people call conspiracy. Don't, don't be afraid of what they are afraid of. Don't call conspiracy what all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He says, look, it's as though they are in the dark and they are scared of everything they can't see. They're hearing stuff. They know stuff is there. They are afraid of all of these things. Don't be afraid of those things like those people are. Don't be worried about those things. Don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. You see, they are stumbling about in the dark and they are crashing into things. And they are very worried about this Assyrian army. They are very worried because they are hungry. They are very worried because they don't have enough food. Don't be like them. Don't be worried about those things. You worry about me. You just worry about me. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about walking down the street and encountering a dog. Not the, the cute, cuddly kinds that, that you want to run over and pet, but, but the kind that is, is tugging at the leash and barking, growling, baring their teeth. 
the, the ones that, that caused me to stop and, and step around to the edge of the sidewalk. And what am I worried about? I'm worried about that dog. But I'm not really worried about that dog. I'm worried about that owner. I'm worried about the person holding the leash, and I'm looking at that person, and I'm trying to decide, I'm trying to gauge in my mind, do they have control of that dog? Is that leash going to hold? Is that collar going to hold? Is that person's grip going to hold? Or is that dog going to break this leash and tear me apart? You see, I'm concerned about the teeth and the bark of that dog, but I'm more concerned about does that owner have control? And here's what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah. Don't worry about the dog. You worry about me. You don't worry about the Assyrians. Do you know why the Assyrians are here? They are here because of your sin. This is the judgment because of your sin. That's why the Assyrians are here. They are here on a leash. If I want to let them loose, I will let them loose. If I want to hold them fast, I will hold them fast. If I want to take them away, I will take them away because I am God. So don't worry about the dog. You worry about me. Verse 21, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and against their God. And their faces will turn upwards. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. They are looking around at the world, and all they see is darkness and distress, and it freaks them out. Do you know this is still happening today? People are looking around at the world and they are panicking. They're freaking out. Do you know that's our temptation too? We look around and we go, oh my goodness. The whole world is falling apart. And the more we look, the more anguish we have, the more distress we are caused as we look around and we go, oh, there is, I can't find anything worth being excited about here. I can't think of anything that causes me to be optimistic and hopeful. We can have somebody get on TV and go, here's some good news. And that's lovely. But then I look at the other real news and it causes me some anxiety. What are the Republicans going to do? What are the Democrats going to do? 
They're going to tear each other apart. Neither of them seems to know what they're doing. I don't think they have this thing under control at all. And so whether it is the things that we look around us that are political, or our health, or our safety and security, or our emotional well-being, or our relational uh, relationships with other people, the more we pay attention to those things, the more we focus on those things, the more worried we become because I don't think that I really have control over this. And it's not really going the way that I would like it to. It's not improving. And the more we look at the things around us, the further into the darkness we get because this stuff on the earth just causes fear. In fact, it, I found it interesting when he said, don't call conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy. You think about all the conspiracy theories that are out there, and I'm not going to go into any of them. I just want to highlight the one that was here in Isaiah. Here's the one that was going on in Isaiah. The Assyrians are coming. The Assyrians are coming and they are going to take us over. They are going to destroy us. That was the conspiracy theory going on in Israel at that time. Do you know why that was the conspiracy theory that was going on in Israel at that time? Because the Assyrians were coming and were going to destroy them. That's why it was the conspiracy theory of the day. Do you realize that every earthly thing that we look at that we are afraid of is a conspiracy theory? Because when we are only looking at it in a temporal, earthly perspective, it's all conspiracy. Don't worry about this stuff. God is in control. Don't worry about the dog. Worry about him who holds the leash. If we have a right relationship with the God of the universe, we don't have to worry about the conspiracy things. We don't have to worry about these things. That's not to say that we won't occasionally look around us and panic from time to time. But that overall, when we keep our eyes fixed in the right place, and we fear the Lord our God and Him only, then these other things are not nearly as significant. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, uh, when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God, and they will turn their faces upward, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now, Isaiah chapter 9. Are you ready for this? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That is what Matthew is quoting. Aren't you glad we went back and looked? We almost missed that whole thing. 
We almost missed all of it. Because do you know what happened? The Assyrians came in and they took over. And for a couple of hundred years, Zebulun and Naphtali just lay in darkness. Waiting. Waiting for this future time that Isaiah had promised. This time when there would no longer be any anguish. This time when there would no longer be any gloom. This time looking forward to the future. When a light would dawn on the land of darkness. And here's what Matthew says. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived by Capernaum, uh, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is the light that comes into the darkness. He came walking into this region and Matthew went, yes! The light has come. The light has come. And for those of you who are stumbling around in the dark, you know when it's really late at night, you wake up in the middle of the night and you get up out of your bed and you step on the one thing and then you stub your toe on the other thing and you're going, I really should get a nightlight so that I can see my way around when it's this dark. Click. The light came on. It was like one of those motion sensor things. You got out of the bed. Bloop. Light comes on. You can see. Here comes Jesus into this land. And the light comes on and all of a sudden you can see. And all of a sudden you can see the things that are around you. You can see all of the th hazards, the things that you might step on, the things that you might be worried about. And Jesus goes, oh, don't worry about that. I'll just take you right around. No longer any need to be afraid of what's going on here. No longer any need to stub your toe. Or step on something. Or bash your knee. Or step on someone else. Because you can see. The light has dawned. The light has shone into this place. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What keeps you up at night worrying? What are you anxious about? What kind of pain, what kind of anguish, what kind of distress are you afraid is going to happen? Jesus has come. He has come to bring light into the darkness. When you read on in Isaiah chapter 9, this child who has been born, right? Right? 
Okay, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to pay special attention to verses 6 and 7. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they, were, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. You were afraid, O Israel, because the Assyrians were coming, but a time is coming when there will be peace. You were afraid because you were hungry, but their time is coming where there will be plenty. You were afraid because of the political turmoil. But the kingdom is going to come. And this is what we are going to call our ruler. The wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. And now Matthew is tying a direct line from this verse in Isaiah to that chapter in Matthew to say when Jesus came to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, he was fulfilling this prophecy. This was the inbreaking of the kingdom into that place. This was the coming of the light into the land of darkness where there was no hope. Jesus came and he turned on the light. And this is what he said, verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we've heard those words before, haven't we? Not that long ago. John the Baptist came in the wilderness near the Jordan River, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now Jesus comes by the Sea of Galilee, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These two ministries are directly linked, John preparing the way and Jesus coming to fulfill it. But do you know what the Israelites were waiting for? They had read those prophecies of Isaiah, and do you know what they were expecting? They were expecting a king to come in with a political salvation. They were expecting somebody to come in and throw out the Roman Empire and establish a new kingdom and he would reign there. 
a descendant of David would reign and Israel would be reborn. Some of them were expecting that. Some of them were expecting that someday in the kingdom of heaven, God would reign eternally. That a sort of a end times sort of thing. And what Matthew is saying is that it's neither of those really. It is happening right now. Jesus comes to establish his kingdom right now. But it's not a political kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. For anybody who wants in, Jesus says, come in. Come into my kingdom. Where he will rule. And so we enter in, but we enter into a spiritual kingdom while still in this physical realm. But no longer afraid of the physical realm. No longer under its thumb. Because we follow a spiritual king in a kingdom that is everlasting, beginning now and continuing for forever. Yes, it is in the end times, but it's also beginning now. We're not punching our ticket so that we can get a kingdom entrance later. We're getting a kingdom entrance now that will continue for forever. It will continue into everlasting life because everlasting life has already begun for those who believe. That's the hope that Jesus brings. You see, we have the same challenges. We are expecting somehow that when Jesus' kingdom comes, it will mean that there will be some sort of revolution politically here, perhaps. Then we will score some sort of political victory as Christians. Or we are waiting for this time when Jesus returns again and spiritually we will be with him forever. We, we have the same tendencies as the people of Israel to put our hope in one of those two things rather than recognizing that he is redefining what the kingdom means for the Israelites and defining it for us. That we enter into this spiritual kingdom that's of another realm, but also existing here, and we are watching it grow. We are moving away from the fear of the things that surround us and into the hope of following the king of eternity. And in the coming weeks, as, as we get into um, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, as you're going into the Sermon on the Mount, and I would encourage you to read that because it's really, really good. It will get much more specific what it looks like not to fear, what it looks like not to be anxious, what it looks like to put your hope and dependency on God. But for now, I want to just highlight this as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then further on in Colossians chapter 3, in verses 15 through 17. 
And then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, if we don't want to be afraid and anxious of all of the things around us, then we need to keep our eyes focused on him. Here's how Jesus put it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is right here. The kingdom has come, the light has dawned, and the action that we have to take is to repent. Why? Because while we were crashing around in the darkness, we were injuring ourselves and others. We were so mired in sin. Our focus was in all the wrong places. We were afraid of the wrong things. We were hoping in the wrong things. We were selfish and self-consumed. And when the light comes on and you see the destruction that you cause, you go, oh no. Have you ever had that happen where the lights are off and you're, you're stumbling through the room trying to make your way through and you miscalculate and then you hear the crash? And you're listening to the crash and your mind is processing, what did I just break? I hope it was cheap and replaceable. That's what's happening when the spiritual light has not yet come on. We're causing all kinds of destruction. And when the light comes on and we look around and we see the destruction, we can't help but repent. Oh God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry I have not been trusting in you. I am so sorry I have not been putting my hope in you. I am so sorry for the destruction that I have caused to myself and to others and for the, the things that I have done to injure you. Because every sin that we commit is ultimately an offense to God. And so when the light comes and the light is turned on and we can see clearly, our response has to be to repent. In fact, as Christians, we live continual lives of repentance. It's not the kind of thing where the light first comes on and you go, oh, I'm sorry. Now I repented. Now I'm going to walk in the light, no problem. Even once we are Christians and the light comes on, we continue to cause damage. We continue to sin. We just see more clearly what we've done while we're doing it. Which means that every day we have to be living lives of repentance. 
Every day we should be coming to God repenting of our sin. And so this morning I want to offer you an opportunity to do that. Earlier I asked you, what is it that causes you to be afraid? What is it that you are anxious about? And now I want to give you the opportunity to give that up to God. And to say, God, I am sorry that I have been more afraid of the dog than of the owner. That I have been concerned about these things when you are in control. Please forgive me. Let's take a moment. Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry that I am concerned about the opinions of man. That I seek their approval rather than yours. Lord, help me to seek your approval first. So that what others may think of me does not matter because you have already called me your own, your child. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I fear about whether or not my resources will be enough instead of depending on you to provide. Lord, I'm sorry when I put my hope in others and when I get so frustrated when they disappoint me. Instead of depending on you and turning to you, expecting that you will bring relief at the proper time or else sustain me through the power of your Holy Spirit to get through. Lord, there are so many things that we need to repent of. There are so many times when we look around us at the things that we, that we can't see because of the darkness and we need your light. And so we thank you that Jesus has come. We thank you that he offers eternal life to us, that he brings in a new kingdom that we can be a part of. And we ask, Lord, would you reign now in this place, in this community, with this people, both now and forevermore?
And we ask for this in the name of our great King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.